Here's our, here's our core values. We want to soak the altar. We want to have radical obedience and radical trust that God is who he says he is and that we can trust him and that when he says go, we can obey. The second is that we pass the cloak. We believe in the next generation and we believe in the value of investing in the next generation, pouring into the next generation and making sure that the next generation knows Jesus and his works and what he's done. We do hear the whisper. That's what I talked about last week, the idea of we listen to the voice of God, we listen to the whisper of God, the rima of God, and pay attention to what he's saying. And that is the starting point for everything we do. The starting point is always what is God saying, and when God speaks, we obey. And then we wreck the roof. We do anything we can possibly do to get to Jesus. And so our methods don't matter nearly as much as inviting people in. And so our methods are flexible and can change, and how we do church can change from week to week. But the, the mode, Jesus, stays the same. Our theology stays the same. Our beliefs stay the same. And then lastly, today, we're going to talk about we do it together, which is this idea that collectively, within our diversity, there is unity. And the fact that all of us in this room are different people from different backgrounds, from different cultures, from different places, and that isn't our weakness, that is actually our strength. And so we unite together to do what God has called us to and to step in what God, to what God has invited us to in the community. And so today I, I want to share a little bit about my future and kind of what I'm thinking, what's next for me. I'm going to be preaching this week. Next week, I'm doing a Lent message, which doesn't lend well for me giving kind of stuff for you guys to do and kind of a message as I leave. Uh, and then I'm going to be out for a week. I'm traveling. And then March 3rd, there's something happening that I'm afraid of. Um, but today, I, I want to kind of give you kind of what, like, this is my final words to you. This is my advice to the church. This is the things that I want to leave you with, and these are the things that I want you to carry on. And, and I want to start with 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. So if you've got your Bibles, open up there. And it's simply Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and he says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. And I'll put a quotation there that says, even in election season, <laughs> right? Even when we're voting on a president and everyone's losing their mind and your news channels are telling you to lose your mind, this is what happens. It says, agree with everything. And, and, and listen, I, I want to I clarify what this means here. I actually did a little work on the word agree uh, this week. And, and, and agree doesn't mean that everything we're all in agreement on. How many of you tonight are cheering for the Kansas City Chiefs? Boo. <laughs> How many of you tonight are cheering for the San Francisco 49ers? <laughs> Boo. Like, who cares? We hate both of them, right? But neither of them, we don't, we're not excited about either, but we hate the Chiefs more because of Taylor Swift. Are you with me? Right? It's very, very clear. There's the, we're having a Super Bowl party at our house, and, and we're doing all these kind of like prop bets that are just fun things that are happening throughout the night. We're going to give a prize to the winner on it. And, and one of them is, what is the over-under on how many times they will show Taylor Swift on TV? <laughs> it's five is where we're starting. So five, you will see Taylor Swift, I think, at least five times, maybe up to 85 tonight uh, in the middle of it. One of my prop bets is, will Usher take his shirt off? Could go either way. He's getting older. 
right? Young Usher, we know he would have had his shirt off, right? There's zero question 20-year-old Usher had his shirt off. I'm not sure if Usher's been working out recently. I don't know what he's been doing. We'll, we'll see. All of these things are exciting things that we'll find out tonight. But here's the thing. We don't have to agree on this nonsense, right? We don't all have to be, like, in the same mind around everything, uh, there's this belief now, and, and I think it comes from social media, and it comes from everybody sharing their opinions about everything. There's this kind of idea that if we're going to worship together, we have to agree on absolutely everything. And I just don't know that that's the case. I think we need to learn to agree about everything. Does that make sense? I don't agree with my wife about everything. But we learn to agree. We learn that there's moments when we're, we disagree, when we're going to see things differently, and that that's okay. It's actually a strength in our marriage and not a weakness in our marriage. So my wife and I, whenever we do personality tests or any of the, any kind of personality test that there ever was created, we're exactly the opposite in everything. Like whatever's the highest for me is the lowest for her. Whatever is the lowest for me is the highest for for her. And, and for, that, that actually causes problems. Are you with me? Because right? we see the world fundamentally differently. And, and there's, there's things that come up. And I'm like, this is the highest value. And she's like, no, this is the highest value. And, and, and what that can do is that can either tear us apart or it can make us incredibly strong. Does that make sense? The fact that we disagree or see the world fundamentally differently in certain ways is actually a strength and not a weakness. The same is true for the church. Now, there are things that we need to agree on, right? There are fundamental theological things that we agree on. If you want to know what those are, those are called primary issues is what it's talked about in theology. If you want to know what those are, it's on our website. People always come to me and they're like, we didn't know you believed this. And I'm like, it was on the website from the very first day that you showed up. It's all there. If you want to vet us before you come here, you can go to our website and it says, what do we believe? And there is like three pages of things about what we believe. And what it is, essentially, is it's the Apostles' Creed. We believe that Jesus is the one way. We believe in the resurrection and the life. We believe that grace by faith through Jesus is the way to heaven. We trust that Christ is the way. And, and, and foundationally, that's what we believe as a church. Now, there's other things in the room where we all may see things quite differently. What, what kind of songs should we sing? How long should we pray? I've had people tell me they don't like the way I do communion. If you don't like the way we do communion, or we don't like the way we do a benediction, we don't like the way we benedict, right? Like there's, there's all kinds of things that we can disagree on and still be in fellowship with one another. There are people in this room, I promise you, who voted for both candidates, and both of those people love Jesus very, very much. And so you don't have to go to a church where everybody votes like you. You don't have to go to a church where everybody dresses like you. You don't have to go to a church where everybody's cultural background is the same as yours. You don't even have to go to a church where everybody's primary language is the same as your primary language. That's part of what makes us beautiful. That's part. So we talked last week about hearing the whisper and this idea of what we do is we co-discern the voice of God. And so when we're co-discerning the voice of God, what we need is diversity of thought so that we can discern. Right? We need women involved in our thinking. We need, we need people of other ethnicities. We don't need a group of 40-year-old white men deciding everything all the time. 
right? We've got to gather. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm leaving. Y'all, y'all are losing one, right? You're losing one 40-year-old white man, right? But we need that diversity of thought. And so as we're co-discerning, we need to invite in other opinions and other thoughts. And we need to say, like, how does this hit you? Like, what are you thinking? How are you processing this? How should we respond to this? What should we respond to? How do we, how do we say this in a way that is theologically correct and robust? And I'm so grateful that we've had diversity of thought and diversity of beliefs. And I've had lots of different people in the room from different cultures, different backgrounds, different socioeconomic classes who grew up in different ways who I'm able to lean on and say, hey, help me with this. Because I don't know everybody's experience in the room. But I want to be clear on this. So we don't have to agree on everything. There are secondary issues that are gray areas in Scripture. And we can disagree, and it's okay. And let me tell you this. Like, what happens is when we make secondary issues primary issues, we break fellowship with people we were never intended to break fellowship with. So the first thing I want to talk about is let's just celebrate our differences. Be a church that celebrates your differences. Be a church that celebrates the fact that there is diversity of thought in this room and in this community, and rather than seeing that as a weakness, see it as a strength. If you don't, if if you're having trouble understanding somebody or why they're coming at it that way, like why did they vote for that person? Or why did they say that phrase? Or why do they believe that thing? Or why do they kind of see this secondary theological issue differently than I do? Can I suggest you eat a meal with them? And can I suggest instead of being the person who's got it all figured out, who's coming into that meal ready to fist fight, that you go into that meal compassionately curious and you try and learn from a different opinion and different thoughts. Here's what I've learned. Every single time I do that, I realize I am not that divergent from the thoughts of the other person. Seek to understand before you're understood. Seek to be humble with your orthodoxy. That's the one thing we have tried to carry here at Grace Marietta. We have strong theological beliefs. Sometimes people say that we're not. I had a guy when I first came here that used to count how many times I used the word sin in my sermons, and he would send it to me every week. You only said sin four times this week, or you only said it once this week. There was one time I didn't say it at all, right? So I apparently, would, because I wasn't saying the one word, I wasn't doing it right, right? There are diversity of thoughts, but we can actually have a humble conversation and a humble orthodoxy around those things and have conversations. Why is it you think I have to say sin a certain amount of times every week for the sermon to be effective? Why is it that, you know, we can ask all of these kinds of questions and be with each other and stop being defensive about everything. Like, you you know what I've noticed about unhappy people? They have all these borders they always have to protect and fight about. They're always arguing about these borders that they're protecting and fighting about. And and, and let me just say to you, like, Jesus is doing great. He's doing really, he's sitting on his throne right now. He loves you. He doesn't need you to protect him. He has angel armies. And so what we're doing is we're ruining relationships with one another. The people that we're actually supposed to journey with and encourage and walk with, we're damaging our relationships with one another, protecting what we believe we're protecting or fighting for Jesus who doesn't need us to protect or fight for him. Now, like, I think there's things that we need to socially engage with. Please don't hear what I'm not saying, right? 
I think there's, there's certain ways that, that we need to fight for justice and righteousness and holiness. And we need to stand up as the church for certain issues. And we need to stand on those with the belief this is what Scripture stands on. And this is what we have co-discerned that God wants us to do about this situation. There are those moments. But I don't know that those moments are the moments that we're supposed to break relationship with everybody around us. Let me help your, your next pastor. You don't have to agree with everything your pastor says. (gasps) Do you know how many words I say every single week? Me neither, but it's a lot. Like it's, it's 30 minutes of me talking. And I can promise you over seven years speaking for 30 minutes, I have said things that I don't even believe in. Right? Are you with me? Like sometimes you say things wrong or you muck it up. Sometimes you you try and do something and it doesn't come out the way that you wanted it to. Sometimes you say something that you firmly believe in and then you kind of change your mind about it or, or you learn a little bit. Now, I'm not talking about primary theological issues. Listen to me. I'm not talking about your next pastor coming up and saying, Jesus isn't Lord. There's some guy named Charlie down the street who's doing great. Let's follow him. Right? That's not what I'm talking about. I am talking about like you're, there's going to be moments when, when, when your leaders are going to get it wrong. When we do encounter grace every single time for the last seven years, the thing that I have said to every single person in the, in the room is, I will at one point disappoint you, and I'm sorry that that will happen. I don't want to d- disappoint anybody. I don't want to make anybody unhappy. But the reality is when you live in community with one another and you're doing life together, not everybody gets what they want all the time. And if you are going to church to get what you want all the time, you are going for the wrong reasons. And there's great churches in the community who will accommodate that. We will not. If you come here, you will not always get what you want. We will not build our whole calendar around the fact that you have basketball practice at 3 o'clock. I know that makes some of you upset. We We can't do that. We can't accommodate everybody's calendar. We will not always remember and say the right thing at the right time. There are times when I should have been praying for somebody and I forgot. It's a reality. There are times when I should have come up to you and said, how's your mom, how's your aunt, how's your work situation? And I didn't because I got stuck talking to other people. There are times when we really genuinely are praying for you in staff meeting, but we forget to tell you that we're doing that somewhere else. There are times when we are going to disappoint you. But give them some grace. We did the exercise before the service this morning. It was really funny. Because I was talking to somebody up here, Savannah and some other people, and Carol Schaefer was walking around just handing out these little pieces of paper. And... And I thought it was, I, I didn't notice that she was handing them out to everybody. I thought she was just handing them out to us. They're just to me. I thought she just handed me a nice little note. And, and I looked at it, and here's what it said. Forgive us the wrongs we have done as we ourselves release forgiveness to those who have wronged us. And I was like, oh, that is so sweet. Like, Carol recognizes that people in the church have hurt me, and, and they need to ask forgiveness. <laughs> like, that is the kindest and most generous and thoughtful kind of thing. And then uh, Cecile got up and said, we handed out the Lord's Prayer to everybody, and everybody got a different part of the Lord's Prayer. Our, our, our posture needs to be a posture of forgiveness, guys. We need to forgive each other. We need to co-discern together. 
Verse 11 says, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people. I like it that there's people that are, they become Chloe's people. This is what happens in the church. There's cliques, right? People play parking lot politics and there's people that are upset and there's people that are doing these kinds of things. I read a little bit about Chloe. Uh, Chloe may not even been a Christian. Uh, Chloe, like her family, so when you know how scripture talks about the household comes to faith? Chloe was the leader of her household, but she didn't actually come to faith according to some theologians. And she just kind of caused trouble in Corinth all the time. So Paul's like, hey, Chloe and her people, the troublemakers, the people that are upset about something, the people that are mad that we didn't do it on their schedule or their time, the people that are upset because something that was said, the people that are mad because the pastor wore ripped jeans or something happened that wasn't according to their, they're not ripped at all, guys. I didn't wear a suit. I don't know what it is. People get upset about lots of things. But it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. Now, let me just say this. Your pastor is not the referee of your arguments or the arbitrator of right and wrong for you. So co-discern together. Be grown-ups. Like, seriously, if you're not getting along with somebody, don't go to the teacher. You're grown men and women. Have a meal with that person. Sit down with that person. Co-discern together, work things out, listen to one another, forgive one another, don't gossip, don't play politics, don't do anything petty, but stay holy and righteous in the things that you pursue and in the things that you do. I've said this many times, but you find out who people are when they don't get what they want. And here has been my experience as a pastor, when people come to me, and they have some sort of request of the church. We need to give money here. We need to do this program here. We need to start this here. We need to serve this people group here. We need to do whatever it is. And, and rarely are any of those things wrong that people are wanting. Are you with me? Like it's not that people are coming to me and saying like we should do something terrible that's sinful. They're all beautiful and good things. The church just has limited resources that the pastor has to steward. And not all of you know that, right? There's a certain amount of money that we have to give away. There's a certain amount of time and energy that the staff has that they can give towards things. There's a certain amount of, of, of even just cachet in like what we communicate and how we communicate. We can't communicate everything. And so as a leader, you've got to manage all of those different things, knowing that if I say yes to this, it means we're saying no to something else. And if we say yes to doing this thing, something else has to fall apart. And, and so there's this juggling of all of these things all of of the time. And so when people don't get what they want, there's three different responses. The first is, okay, I understand. And just going on with your business. That's my favorite of all of them, right? The second is I'm leaving. If I don't get what I want, I'm leaving and I'm going to the church down the street that will do this. And I always say, God bless you. That's a good thing. There's great churches all over our community. If another church in our community is doing a better work in your life than we are, Go and be blessed. The third is the hardest, and it's I'm leaving and I'm throwing stones on the way out. You find out who people are when they don't get what they want. And unfortunately, a lot of times, people don't get what they want, and they immediately turn into gossip and attacking and fighting, and just, to be honest, outright lies. And as a pastor, you cannot defend yourself. So I don't get to stand up here and say, hey, you know when Jeffrey left, 
That guy was full of crap. That guy was lying. That guy was making stuff up. Everything Jeffrey said, I know some of you are worked up about Jeffrey. There is no Jeffrey. I'm just making this. Jeffrey's an imaginary person. If your name is Jeff, I apologize. Jeff, Jeff's on our board. All right? uh, he's staying. He's doing great. Jeff, the McCoys are doing great, everybody. Right? We, we don't, but, but there's no, like, there, there's no standing up here and defending against those things. You just, the, the prayer that I pray always is, Lord, vindicate me according to your righteousness. Because here's what happens, and this happens over and over again, and I'll say this to our staff and to our board and to the leaders of the church, the truth gets revealed at some point. You don't always have to be the one to reveal it. You don't always have to fight for yourself because truth is truth, and it gets revealed, and God reveals it in his timing and in his ways and does beautiful things with all of that. Verse 12 says this, what I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And this is one of my favorite parts of of Corinthians. Paul just starts working out who he baptized in the church while he's writing. This is great. Listen, I thank God that I baptized none of you. Well, I did baptize Crispus and Gaius so that none of you were baptized in my name. Oh, I did baptize the house of Stephanus. Besides that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone, right? I love that he's right. This is in our Bible. Right? Paul's like, I think I baptized Charlie, and I think I baptized Stephanie, and then oh yeah, there was that kid, Demetrius. Like, I, these are, I don't remember all of this stuff. He's just writing this, all of that. I love how he's working it out. It's really great. He, but this leads us to our second thing, is, is you guys follow Jesus and not a pastor. Uh, your pastor today, and your pastor six months from now, will be flawed and sinful and will get things wrong. They will make mistakes in the same way that I've made mistakes. And I never want the new pastor to hear this phrase. And if he, I'm going to tell whoever it is that if I hear it, I need to know who said it. Because <laughs> I'm coming back. <laughs> That's not how Ben did it. Can we all agree? Our pastor or whoever it is, him or her, will never hear that phrase again. Uh, I, I, I want to encourage you to honor your staff team, guys. The hardest part for me to leave is that I love and believe in our staff team like a father believes in his kids. I, 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 I made a firm commitment when I started thinking about leaving that I would not leave until the church was in its healthiest state, which meant we had the right leaders in the right seats at the right time. And I love our staff. I think they are immensely gifted. I watch how they sacrifice for you. I watch how they care and love for the church. I watch when they show up early in the morning and stay late at night. I watch when they're running to a hospital in the middle of a family dinner. I watch how they serve and sacrifice for you. And let me just tell you, that is worthy of your honor and respect. There is not a single pastor on our staff who is paid what they are worth, or even close to it. There is not a single pastor on our staff who is doing this for their glory or their honor. Most of them can't even afford to buy a home in this community that we, you guys all live in. And it drives me absolutely crazy when they are treated like they are here to make you happy. Let me tell you this. Your pastoral staff is not here to make you happy. They are here to make you holy. 
They are not here to meet all of your needs, and they should not be disrespected. Older white men in the room, I'll consider myself one of them, do not disrespect the women on our staff. Do not act like they don't have authority or power or spiritual capital. They have it in spades. And it took me a long time to help people in the room understand that when women on our staff were talking to them, they carried the same authority and the same strength that I do when I'm in the room. And they deserve the same honor and respect that I did when I was in the room. Don't disrespect these people. Don't send them nasty emails. Can I say, like, every time you're tempted to send a nasty email, send them a gift card instead? (laughs) I'm serious. Maybe that's a spiritual journey for you. Every time you're upset with somebody, send them a note and tell them you're praying for them. Every time you're irritated with them, invite them over for dinner. Like, honor and respect and care for these things. Say, Say thank you. Notice their hard work. Acknowledge their gifts and their passions and their abilities and the things that they bring to the table. Pray for them. Be generous to them. The church is not a a, a program. The church is not a gathering on Sunday. The church is us. It's the people. You don't belong to a Christian social club. You belong to the people of God. So reset your life around relationships with the people in this room, not around the programs that we offer in this space. Discipleship is not some secondary thing that we do in the church that's behind the service. We don't do a church service and then we do discipleship. We do discipleship, which is life-on-life relational, and then we do a service to connect people to discipleship. It's not the other way around. Does that make sense? So if you're going to reorient your life around something, I reorient it around relationships in this room. If you're someone who's just been coming on Sundays and you've never experienced any other part of our church, I would just say you're missing out on the best part of our church, which is the people in this room. You're missing out on amazing, wonderful, beautiful people who can encourage you and walk by you and pray with you and care for you and be generous to you and bring meals when you're sick and pray for your children. I've got people in this church who send my children gifts at college because they love me. I've got people in this place who have gone to my children's sporting events and sat with them and cared for them and loved them and walked beside them because they love me. Like This is a beautiful place to raise a child. It's a beautiful place to be a part of the family of God. And there are beautiful, incredible, amazing people in this room. So be bold enough to experience relationships and not just its service because you're missing out on the best part of us. You're missing out on having a meal with the Volancos, and it's good food, and Cecile will pray for you, and Jose is the most encouraging person I've ever met in my life who comes up to me every Sunday and says, Pastor, that was the greatest sermon that has ever been preached, and I know he's lying, right? I know he's lying, but it's beautiful. You're, like, I could go, I, 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 sorry that I just named Cecile and Jose, I could go around the room, and I could name all of these people in the room who are just so wonderful. And incredible. And you're missing out on that when you just commit to being a part of a program or a service. Or when you treat the staff like they're here to meet your consumer needs. You're missing the point completely. Number three is bring your whole self to church. Which means you bring in your wounds. And you bring in your brokenness. 
One of the things that I've heard pretty consistently about our church is I came here and this was a place where I got healed from church hurt. Or I came here not believing that the church could actually be a beautiful place and I found this to be a beautiful place. Or I came here with a level of woundedness and brokenness from something that happened to me somewhere else and I've been getting healed here. And I I just want to encourage you, like, bring your wounds. Like, that's what real community does, is we bring the best of us and we bring the worst of us. We bring the, the parts of us that are pretty and good, but we also bring the parts of us that are broken and need help. It's in that humility of being able to name, these are the things that I am hurting around. These are the things where I'm broken. These are the things where I need help, that the community can actually be the community. There are so many people in this room who want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. They just need to know where those hands and feet need to go and need to touch. And if we're not honest with ourselves, we don't bring those things. And the truth is that hurt people hurt people. And so you're hurt. You can either bring it into this place to be healed, or you can bring it into this place to hurt others with it. And I would rather this be a healing place. I would rather this be a place where we come to community to be, in, to be healed and not to infect others. There, there's a lot of things being said about church hurt and church trauma. and I, I, I'm 100% certain that that's true and it happens. I, I know more than anybody. I, I've, I've got three people that I know this year who are pastors who have all lost their jobs because of impropriety of some sort. And I'm broken by that, and it hurts me. Uh, I, I've got two more weeks. I'm hoping I can make it without doing something really stupid. <laughs> I, I recognize that you've been hurt by a church somewhere, or you've been hurt by our church, or you've been hurt by somebody in this room. Um, but can I just be honest with you? I, I, I don't know. I don't know that there's anybody who's been hurt more than your pastor by the nasty things that are said to me, the outright lies that are told about me, the ways that people have spoken to my children and to my wife. I I can promise you if I started telling you actual phrases that have been said to me, you you would all be absolutely appalled. And here's the truth, and this is the reality. You cannot love without risk. And there's been moments for me as a pastor where I'm like, it's easier for me to close myself off and keep people at a distance and not let anybody in than it is to love this church. Because if I let people in, then somebody is going to pretend like they're my best friend and I'm going to become really close to them and we're going to go on vacation with them and hang out with them and spend time with them. And then I'm going to preach a sermon that they don't like and then I'll never hear from them again. But, But here's the reality. In community, everybody... You are both hurt and healed. Are you with me? It's true of our families. It's true of our churches. It's true of anything that really matters. It's true of our marriages. It's true of all of our relationships with our fathers and with our mothers. The reality is if we stay, you're going to get hurt and you're going to get healed. And I want to encourage you that I believe After seven years of being the pastor here, after 29 years of ministry, I believe that the healing is greater than the hurt. 
I believe that the healing that I see in this place is more redemptive than the hurt that I see happen in this place. I believe that the church exists for good and that there are amazing, incredible people here who are doing incredible things. And so I I get it. Some of you have been hurt by the church. I'm really sorry. If you need to hear a pastor say they're sorry, I'm very sorry. It wasn't supposed to happen. And things that are said and done to you all, I, I, I know But don't get it twisted. Some of you are saying, like, I have trauma, and your pastor just disagreed with you. That's not trauma. I had a guy the other day who was like, I have PTSD from the church. And I was like, what happened? And he was like, some lady said a really mean thing to me. And I was like, oh, that happens to me every week. (laughs) I don't want to minimize things, right? There are things that need to be challenged and things that need to be called out. But don't fight for that space where you are the most abused. Be a victor. Walk in freedom. Walk in joy. Walk in the forgiveness and the grace of Christ. Be more than conquerors in that space. And if you really have been abused and something terrible really has happened to you, I can promise you this is a place to be healed. And this is a place to bring that to community. And it's a place where people will come alongside of you and serve you and love you and walk with you. Number four is that Christian community is built and not found. Uh, You don't walk into a community and just suddenly belong. You you work for it. Uh, Someone came up to me uh, uh, recently and said, this isn't a really great place to find community. And I was like, well, can I correct that statement? (laughs) Because I can say whatever I want now. I said, said, "This this may not be a great place to find community, but here's what I've observed. It is a beautiful place to build community. If you're expecting to just show up one day and suddenly you've got 20 best friends who walk with you and journey with you for the rest of your life, that's not going to happen. But if you stay long enough and you build, there's beautiful people in this community who will love you and serve you and care for you and will be your friend for the rest of your life. It's not, community's not found. We don't just show up and walk into it. We build it over time and over the years and over the decades. And I read an article once that said, a pastor doesn't really become the pastor of a church until five years in. So I guess I've only been here two years, right? (laughs) Because five years in, by the time you're here five years, you've journeyed with people. You've done the funerals of the people that they love. You've visited them in the hospital. You've prayed for them when they were at their worst and when they were struggling. You've walked with them through hurt trials and trouble and all of those different things. All of that stuff happens. It just happens over time. It doesn't happen instantaneously. And anything that's good is worth fighting for. And community is worth fighting for, guys. It's worth investing in. It's worth taking the risk of going to somebody's kingdom community when you know no one and you're an introvert. It's worth all of those things. It's hard because people are hard. And that includes you, too. But it's worthwhile And the more time and energy you invest in helping others feel connected, suddenly the more connected you feel. And if you work to make this a place that is comfortable for others, suddenly it's comfortable for yourself. And if you're willing to take the initiative with relationships, suddenly relationships start to come. And if you care for others, even when it's boring or hard or difficult or feels like it's not received, all of a sudden you start feeling cared for. And by year after year, month after month, suddenly you begin to find that you have a real community. 
One of the saddest things that I've seen experienced as a pastor is people that have journeyed with us for a really long time and decided to walk away over something silly. Not because it hurt the church, but because I think it hurt them. Like you're going to start completely over? You're going to show up somewhere where your kids don't know anybody? When they've got 20 best friends here who would pray for them and drop everything they have at the drop of a dime, like, don't throw community away because you get angry. Don't throw things away because you're upset about something silly. Let Romans chapter 12 be the language that we use here. It says this, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. I love this one. Outdo one another in showing honor. Hey, you want marriage counseling? Who wants a better marriage? Outdo one another in showing honor. Start there. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. More marriage advice. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to to what you do, what is honorable in the sight of all. If it's possible, so far as it is, depends on you. Live peaceable with all. Peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will reap the burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Isn't it amazing that the Bible says this way better than I could? This is what a church does. If you're stuck on a week and you're like, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do in, in, in our church, maybe just open that passage up and say, which of these things can I do this week? What does it look like for me to live any of these things out in Romans chapter 12? What does it look like for me to walk in this way? Resist the urge to withdraw from community and lean in. Ask for help. Be vulnerable and honest. Step out of your comfort zone. Allow yourself to really be known by others. And lastly, and this is the thing that I've said over and over again, is place Jesus first. I, uh, Psalm 127 came up this morning in our prayer time, and it says, unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. And I have been honored to be able to steward this church for the last seven years. But that's all I've been. I've been a placeholder. I've been an ambassador for Jesus. I've been the one who tried to do what he would do to the best of my ability. And now I'll hand that off to somebody else who will do that again for seven years or 10 years or 50 years. Maybe they're really young. Uh, I, I, I don't know, but, but it's his church and it's not ours, guys. And I, like, this church is not going to fall apart because I'm leaving. This church is going to grow and flourish. And I pray that some of the things that I did in those seven years built a foundation that will grow. And I pray that some of the things that happened over the last seven years are seeds that we're starting to see kingdom fruit grow. Like, I love what's happening in our student ministry right now. 
We've prayed for it for a long time, and there's beautiful, beautiful things happening. I love what's happening in our worship culture right now. I love the passion. I love what's happening with our prayer and that we're a praying church who's committed to pray. I love how we're led by the Holy Spirit. There are so many things I love about where we are, but they're just foundational pieces. I've, I've hung on to this the entire time that I've been a pastor and that I've been in ministry, that idea that Jesus says to Peter, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom, which is, those are good keys. Are you with me? Right? That is like all the kingdom authority, power, all, all, everything in the kingdom you want, I'm giving it to you. But then he says this to Peter, but I will build my church. And so my posture as your pastor has always been, God has given me the keys to the kingdom. He's given me all authority and spiritual power that I have, but he holds the keys to the church. This is his place. It's not mine. It never was. In fact, as I leave, I think you're going to find out that I didn't do that much. You guys are going to be like, wow, we don't even miss him. This is, this is great. I don't even know what Ben was doing all the time, right? I think some of those things are going to come up, and that's great. That's, that's, what, that's what we want. Um, we're stewards of it, and this is his church. And I will say all of the hurt and all the pain that comes with being in community is worth it because of Jesus. He's worth it, and he's good. We don't choose the church that we like. We choose the one that looks like Jesus to us. And we stay there. I, uh, seven and a half years ago, I sat right in my spot that I sit in every single week. And Danny Spinks and Matt Reynolds invited me to come and preach. And they called me and they said, we've got this little church that we've planted. And honestly, I, just for those of you who are here, I love you. But they said, it's a mess. They were like, we have no money. Buddy who was leading the church passed away. There's like 60 or 70 people who are really great and love Jesus. There's a building, but there's also a park that I think you could get diseases from out to the side. And they're like, it's a mess, and the, the facility's a mess, and the roof's falling apart, and there's no money. And, and, and it was a terrible pitch for me to come here. <laughs> it was the worst ever. And I came here and I preached, and uh, I. I, I, I preached from up here on the stage, I think, at that time. It was, I, don't, I don't remember all of it, but I, there was not very many people in the room. We had like seven pews in the room, but we had spread them out to make it look like the room was full, uh, which was awesome. I, you guys remember those days? There was seriously like three pews on each side, and there were, everybody had more leg room. They could have put 25 people in between them and the pew ahead of them. And uh, I... I remember spending the day at the church and, and I remember just talking to people and I remember having lunch with Danny and Leanne and I remember having lunch with Matt Reynolds after that and I remember going to the Schaefer's house. Do you guys remember that? You guys had me to your house that weekend and you guys gave me this big giant gift basket and all of these just really sweet things and as we were flying home, I remember saying to my wife, those people look like Jesus to me. I want to be a part of that church. Uh, and I can tell you, seven and a half years later, those people look like Jesus to me. And this is a good place. And I love what God is doing here. And I'm both really excited and brokenhearted about leaving. A lot of you are asking, hey, what's next for you? What are you going to do? 
Uh, I don't know all the answers to that. I'm trying to piece some things together as I run a nonprofit called Kingdom Dreams Initiative, where I'm coaching entrepreneurs and leaders to launch their kingdom dream and step into the marketplace and launch more nonprofits and launch for-profits and launch microchurches and ministries. I've been doing that for the last three years, and I'm going to continue to step into that and try and figure that out. I'm coaching some leaders. I'm doing some cultural kind of things, helping uh, companies and businesses and nonprofits figure out their people issues and their, their leadership issues and their culture issues. And I'm trying to come alongside and do some of those kinds of things. And I'm praying for what's next. I'm going to maybe work with a couple different organizations and try and help them with some things for a while. And I'm, I'm praying. If you guys would pray with me, it's a little scary right now. So if you would pray with me in that, that would be great. Uh, I don't know. People are asking me, like, are you going to still be around? And my answer is, I don't know. And so here, here's my real answer to that is I'm going to take some, t- some time. I'm going to sleep in on a few Sundays. <laughs> it's been 29 years uh, of being a pastor and having responsibilities every Sunday. I've got a vacation that is going from Sunday to Sunday, which feels pretty awesome, right? Uh, I'm, I'm going to like not have to fly back before the rest of my family so that I can be at church or like those kinds of things that we've done in the past. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some time off. And so I'm going to rest a little while. And I love this community, guys, and I would love to be a part of it, but I will never be a distraction here. And I don't want to be in the way of what our staff is doing or what our leadership is doing or what's happening here. And so I'm going to discern what's best for the church here on, based on whether I hang out and sit in the back and am around or whether we try and find a different place, which would break my heart. But, we, you know, like we, we just, I, I don't want to be in the way of what God is doing here, and I want to bless whoever the next leader is. I don't want somebody to think, man, I wish this guy who was here for seven years wasn't looking over my shoulder the whole time <laughs> or something like that. And so we're going to take some time off. I, I, I know, the reason I'm telling you all this is I know that people fill in the blanks with stories, and, and I don't want anybody to fill in the blanks that Ben doesn't love this place or that Ben doesn't care. Uh, I'm going to continue coaching our staff and our pastors and Allie and Benton uh, during this next season until we find a new lead pastor. And I'm going to walk beside them and pray with them and help them with decisions. And so I'll be behind the scenes on some of the things that are happening and be serving them in some capacity because I love this place. And then I'm also always here. Uh, I I have very good boundaries. And so if you need me for something, you can reach out to me. And I have permission to say no, especially since I'm not your pastor anymore. Uh, (laughs) But... But I'm more than happy to love you. And, and I please, I, I know that churches sometimes are like gangs. When somebody leaves, they're like, you can't be friends with them anymore. Uh, that would break my heart because all of my best friends are in this room. And so I don't want my family to start and lose their community and lose the people they love. I don't want my children to lose the people that they grew up with and the people that they love. Uh, this place is really, really important to me. And I really care about it. I've gone way over. And so I'm just going to pray, and we're going to have communion, and and we're going to sing a worship song together. Um, Let me just leave you with this. This is a really wonderful place, and it's worth investing in. Heavenly Father, I thank you for seven great years of ministry. I thank you for the joys that we've experienced along the way. I also thank you for the hard times and the heartbreak. I thank you for the way in which you've shaped me as a follower of you. In this season, I thank you the way that you've blessed our family. I thank you for the way that we have seen you move in powerful and amazing ways. And we ask by the power of your Holy Spirit that what has started here, that the good work that has begun, that you will be faithful to complete it. 
And so I give you back the keys. And I trust that whoever you bring on next will be the person that you've chosen and will lead this church faithfully. I pray for that next leader, Lord. I pray that they are immensely blessed by this community. I pray that this community would stand shoulder to shoulder with them, side by side with them, lock arms with them and hands with them. I pray that they would be encouraged by their fellowship here. I pray that they would be strengthened by the community that's around them. I pray that they would be prayed for and loved and cared for. And I pray that you would bless them with unsurmountable joys for being a part of this community. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,